0: Show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader. And I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. <sighs> this has been a chirotic week because I taught Chiron for Meteorite this week. And have been having experiences related to Chiron, um, not only based on, you know, Chiron in transit right now and aspects being formed to Chiron at the moment, but when in conversation with a particular archetype or teaching, it creates a field. And so I've been really going through it, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, and... I, I notably am a lot more comfortable expressing myself when I'm on the up or when I'm feeling really good, um, but I'm not at the moment. And <laughs> I actually had this podcast, um, which is a great episode, by the way. I am excited to share it. And it is important to talk about Chiron and uh, Darker materials uh, to go off of, you know, where I'm interviewing Maya here of her darker materials. And shadow work and talking about these things is fertilizing, like it is, you know, grounding. And certainly at moments where we're going through something difficult, that's going to be what penetrates us, uh, quite possibly. Um, as opposed to, you know, brushing a few glittery affirmations over the situation as much as I love affirmations. But I hold, held this episode. I held this episode back a couple days because I... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny now. It's funny now. I'm just going to have to to be with that. But I you know, I haven't shared this. I've been talking about how I'm looking for more permanent housing, which actually means I'm looking to buy a home for the first time ever. And I'm choosing to do that at a moment where the housing market is pretty competitive. And, you know, I've received plenty of warnings and good lucks and all of that and have been on the magical path, the magical quest pursuing this. And I had put an offer on a house this weekend and I really wanted to be accepted. So the thought of releasing an episode about rejection, I contemplated, would it energetically behoove me to put this out or should I not be thinking about rejection? So (laughs) I went with the aversion and decided to wait. Um, But sure enough, this morning early in the morning, I got a phone call from my realtor telling me that the people who were selling the home loved my letter, but, uh, they chose the money (laughs) as in someone who came over way, 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 way over asking price. Um, and I, I wasn't immediately devastated or anything. And I knew going into this, that I would have to deal with rejection that, You know, houses are going quickly and it's a competitive market. So I wasn't immediately demoralized, but the type of other things that constellated in my mind today um, led me into a very deep depression. I took a depression nap and like literally woke up and felt my dreams pop and dissolve away and then feel a sense of dread uh, to being here again talked a lot on the phone with friends who helped me out deeply and helped me, you know, when I'm in crisis. And one of them said to me, you know, you're a really empowered person in general. And every now and then you go through these intense emotional things, but you always work through it and come out on the other end. So he was basically saying he loves to talk me through it and give me advice or tune in with me because, um, yeah, he just feels me in that way. And, you know, so I'm really grateful for that. But essentially I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll wait to record this episode intro and put it out when I'm feeling better. But I wanted to make a deeper point here about embodiment and accepting all the parts of us. And for me, I think that what I really share a lot in the world uh, is my optimism, which I have a lot of, and um, my wellness or my well-being. And today was definitely like a murky, swampy, low mental health, losing my mind kind of day. And, uh, you know, I just want to normalize, uh, that and that I do have days like that. And that this day was a particularly bad one and that it is eclipse season. And that one of the things I know about eclipse season is the way that People freak out during it, myself included. I'm never, um, immune. Um, not to mention that today the sun is conjunct the fixed star algal, um, which is literally related to losing one's head or losing one's mind. And, um, I thought perhaps knowing Maya, And knowing her interest in the down and how she says in this episode that she prefers the down and the shadow work as opposed to ascension, that she wouldn't necessarily mind me taking up the space in this intro to even talk about this kind of thing. Um, But I want to say too, Maya is a deeply insightful electric astrologer who really does embody the material And bring her personal experience and her way of living with the archetypes into it. I also really appreciate the way that, as enthusiastic and approving as she really is of the shadow and shadow work, um, there's so much vibrancy and joy that comes through her essence and her persona as well, which I feel is a A beautiful thing that actually comes from touching into that material is that we can lead richer lives or feel more in touch with our Eros life force um, when we are willing to touch the depths and the parts there that we feel uncomfortable of or scared of, um, that it can actually touch into a deeper sense of aliveness when we confront that. Maya has also integrated human design and gene keys into her astrology, which I think is really fascinating. Um, given that, you know, there's such a wealth of information in human design and it's a pretty new field. Um, and so if you're looking for an astrologer, who's also adept in human design, Maya would be a great person to follow and get a reading from. So given the kind of, uh, Week that I've had leading up to this, and um, kind of what's in my psyche at the moment, and thinking about this episode, and thinking about Chiron, um, I still have much to reflect upon in terms of what is the the key um, that opens up. You know, Chiron being a key shaped glyph and relating to these certain. You know, Chiron being the bridge between Saturn and the outer planets, so it can be this bridge into the transpersonal but is also, of course, associated with pain or wounding. And so there's the way that sometimes when we experience something wounding or painful, that it actually opens us up to certain parts of our soul to really think about what rejection does for us. Um, If you've had any moments of empowerment or sovereignty or Autonomy emerge from feeling rejected, or if it was enough for you to be like, fuck it, I'm gonna do this thing that I've always wanted to do because who cares now? Or I'm gonna live my truth now, or I'm just gonna embody myself more now because I don't need this external approval or this external permission, right? And I think tuning into our relationship with rejection for me and my current, you know, situation. Um, you know, the house is not the thing, the only thing I'm upset or troubled by right now, but the, um, the housing situation is touching me with a part of myself that is like, well, yes, I want to continue to be excited and hopeful and optimistic and determined and to persevere and, and all of that and be with this high emotional game of looking for a house And getting attached to certain houses and whatnot along the way, um, it's showing me the possibility of having a thicker skin, so to say, and also approving of and being with my tenderness and vulnerability and feeling into, sure, it's not that I didn't get the house today (laughs) that's had me feeling all of these things. But it certainly was the catalyst that opened me up to confronting a whole other slew of things that is perhaps important and necessary for me to look at. What does it mean when we invest our time and energy into things that are not for us, where we are receiving rejection, right? Um, What does it mean to be fully so present and aware of rejection occurring and finding our power, finding our center of balance in that? So I'll leave it here. Thank you for listening to me uh, share a more rare window (laughs) into a messier part of my process, you know, as inspired by the content of this episode and the spirit of this shadow work extraordinary. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed having it, laughing, um, getting real about Taurus and Aries and exploring the mysteries of Chiron. Hey Maya, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here.
1: I am thrilled to be here and I'm honored, as you know, you are like one of my astrology heroes of all times. So thank you for having me.
0: You're amazing. And I'm excited to talk about Chiron and Aries with you. I, I feel I worked out this morning, so I'm bringing that to the altar of this conversation, living my best jock life and drinking like a protein hot chocolate as we speak. Um, But anyway... I would love to hear more about you, your astrology practice and darker materials and why you named it that. Of course.
1: Okay. So I'd like to begin by saying that I think, in um, fact, I claim that me using astrology once at a time in my teens um, as a way of, as a self-exploratory tool was the first grown up decision I ever made. And the reason I say that because up until that point, I mean, I'm a Putin right? So I was born with this uh, insatiable uh, soul's desire to improve, to fix, to find what's not working as well as it could be and then find ways to improve it, right? Including myself, in fact, mostly starting and including myself. So since I can remember, I was always like figuring out why am I the way I am? Who am I? And I was looking to my parents for answers. And then comes my teens, and I was introduced to astrology by a friend who was like a really quirky and unusual kind of character in my hometown. And uh, and he was produced, he produced this map for me. And he was <laughs> like, What? <laughs> I can just have this world to me, and it's just me and them, the characters in the in the story, right? The, the archetypes. Um, and at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to get my parents off the hook. I'm still going to, I'm going to stop blaming them. And I felt like I really did the right thing by them and, uh, turned, you know, turning to this map in astrology was a most empowering. Um I mean, those that wasn't vocabulary of the time and we were talking 80s really, uh, so long time ago. But still there was a sense of I'm in charge. I'm gonna now decide who I am and I'm gonna play out my story the way I feel best and all that. So that was me getting into astrology and it was always just a tool for me uh for a long time. I was obviously very curious about other people and would love to kind of, you know, learn about them through their astrology, that child, but also learn about astrology through that. So it was like a back and forth with, you know, random people and friends, lovers, family. But what I soon discovered is as I would be like, okay, so when we're born and then I look at the chart and I tell them a few things and uh, I, I noticed that I'm drawn, the way I'm kind of instinctively uh, driven to go, it's where the problem is, where the darker area of the chart is, uh, where the difficult aspects are, right? So i will be like, hmm, look at that. What is that? Then I would tell them a few things and I would. They tell immediately that they weren't so keen on hearing that fair enough so stop <laughs> that. Uh,
0: what I i'm doing going straight for the jugular
1: Astrologically, i love that expression thank you for saying it so it wasn't me but exactly that and uh But what I discovered, obviously, that they weren't so keen. So I stopped doing it. But I was then feeling like a big part of me was shut off and was unused. And it's like I had a whole skill set of actually helping you with that particular thing. We just wanted to talk about, you know, butterflies and sunshine. So I did a little bit of that, but it was never, you know, I never really enjoyed it. Right. So it stayed just something for me. And then it became a point where I thought, I just want to make something of this. This is, you know could be my life, could be my life's work, could be a knowledge that I want to share with the world. But how do I position myself to to say that actually I want to look at the darkness of yours. I want to look at where the problems are. And that I didn't have a model like a like a role model to see how, how to do this. So it took me a while. Plus I have a moon square Uranus. There was a piece there about respectability and, um, um, you know, Pluto, sorry, a moon in Capricorn, uh, square Uranus in Libra, and how society will view my um the conventional society view my, you know, woo-woo interest in this weird thing of cold astrology. So that was also a big part. And then, uh, and then, sort of about only about five years ago, I started. a Few transits happen, mostly Saturn conjunct my Moon, but also Chiron. Actually, doing all kinds of stuff with my Pluto, Jupiter, and North Node, and Uranus as well. Um, I eventually kind of, you know, grabbed the bull by the horns and said position myself as darker materials i mean i may have not called it to begin with like that but i was always talking about the decks and the darkness and the you know just just using astrology as a tool to help you identify with the problem that was kind of my thing bring me a problem and i'll help you with astrology to solve it uh, or to find some solutions and uh, so yeah and then darker materials just uh, it's about uh, his darker materials a little bit. Was there played the, the the play on words, but it was that it was the shadow work that you know the, the inner darkness that I always I found nurturing, but also exciting. I mean, I have uh, Sagittarius in eighth house for me. Going into my own darkness is the greatest adventure. So,
0: so yeah,
1: uh, that's kind of in a in a very uh, short <laughs> nutshell.
0: Uh, my, uh, I love the. Um Ownership and approval that you have for your deep investigative interest in those darker materials and seeing how, how lit up and how expanded you are by that and how, you know, whatever approach that we have to astrology is going to attract the types of clients that we need to work with or people, you know, who are on that wavelength. And I feel that being really clear about what our passion is in the field can then, you know, and expressing that in our work, which I feel you do. I feel that your delineations and how you talk about astrology is very sharp and penetrating, but also joyful and also expansive, right? Because these things, you know, the shadow doesn't have to be so scary. It's actually, profound to get in contact with it and contact our power that way.
1: Yes. And I'm, when it comes to, um, you know, I'm so glad you, you kind of noticed the excitement and, um, that's exactly the piece I'm bringing into it. It's like, uh, yes, it might be scary and it might be dark, but it's first, I think it's all you as in a, an asset or rather an, a facet of you, uh, or an archetypal sort of like of version of, of part of you that you are engaging meant to be engaging this lifetime you know with and it's it's a mixture by the way sorry just quickly it's an ea is one of my biggest passions in terms of schools of astrology and that's a lot thanks to you um but also i'm eclectic completely so just anything i know i'll bring in i don't have just one kind of road to go down and uh, but the point is there is such um someone said once uh fear is uh excitement without breath i don't know who they are but um that is kind of how I, I approach the fear and the scariness that surrounds you know inner darkness and one's you know yeah a shadow whatever. Is that that's really just excitement? That's you need to just take a deep breath, recognize that you know just it's it's this it's a concept. It's um, it's an idea. It's a feeling. It's nothing physical that has a you know gun against your head. Literally, you have real fear to fear you know. So it's just taking that moment of of breath and and facing and there is something exhilarating about that. And if we get to that, I'll share some examples of my own, how I push myself in that place and and experience that exhilaration.
0: Yeah, I mean, this seems very um, Chiron and Aries as well, like activations around courage and Aries, I feel like does relate both to fear and courage, because in order to have courage, we have to face our fears, too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a a double-sided thing. Um, How do you describe Chiron and Chiron and Aries? Um, And, you know, feel free to talk about to your experience with it. Um, You know, however, whatever order you want to go in with that. Because I feel like with Aries, it is so much about personal discovery, um, you know, and our own personal mythos. So it's such a treat, honestly, to talk with astrologers who, uh want to share that story you know from their personal side and you know I do that too and it's a journey <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a wonderful journey it's a rocky journey rocky robber it's wonderful I mean the vistas you know and the it's an adventure you know it's such an adventure so um I started working with Chiron intentionally um, in 2010 2010 when Chiron was sextiling my um, Saturn. But so transiting Chiron was making an exact sextile throughout the whole year, danced around the zero degree of, uh, of Pisces. Um, and uh, at the same time, Saturn was transiting uh, opposing my um, Venus and Chiron, and I have Chiron and Venus conjunct in, in Aries. And so what I discovered in 2010, a feeling i never thought i had i never never i only heard other people have and i i never did which is loneliness i have never in my life felt lonely <clears throat> until 2010. so i was you know interested to understand what is my problem why my? why why loneliness all of a sudden so what is it? so venus was the place i was looking basically to begin with and then i could not look at chiron because she was and then as I looked and then sort of dug deeper into Chiron um, and Venus, kind of I couldn't um, separate them to begin with, I looked back on my life and this is what I do. I journaled since I started writing. Uh, so I had a way of looking back at transits by looking at my journals back, in, you know, 15 years ago. And essentially I discovered that uh, I lived Chironically. Um, when you have such a personal planet, you know, being so close to a Chiron, I think that's kind of a given but it took me, 2010, I was 40 something, 42, I think. Um, so it took a while to realize that. But, um, so the piece there, the, the first kind of piece that I, I I discovered about myself and Chiron and my Venus there, is that at the root of every single problem um, or everything I felt for me problem being held back, like my Aries can't just get going, it's just something's just there holding me back. I discovered was this, um, irrational even, but maybe, maybe not so much irrational, maybe just intense fear of rejection. And so studying Chiron, as I did at the time, I, you know, at the myth of Chiron realized that that's essentially the Chiron wound. So if I can go into Chiron myth, uh, just to kind of make that uh, parallel. And so, and I actually think Chiron myth is, uh, Chiron in Aries story, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that. So, Chiron was a uh, uh, offspring of uh, Saturn, Cronos, and a uh, nymph. Um, and he um, was one of those, you know, not so incestuous birth, but or other conception, but not, you know, uh, cons- consen- consensual necessarily either. However, he was born um, half human, half animal, and his mother rejected him straight out as she saw what he looked like, um, like a monster. She Pre- perceived him as. So, so that's the first Chiron wound. That's a Chiron rejection wound, right? Um, what happens to him, he ends up being abandoned and then he gets adopted by Apollo and Artemis. So I see them, Apollo, I see like a Libra archetype uh, because he's a patron of the arts, he's a musician, he's a poet, he's a He's, yeah, he's this beautiful god, elegant and graceful. And Artemis is the huntress. She's like the, the, the goddess of the of the land and the plants, amongst other things. So he goes away as far as he can from his rejection wound. And Aries is essentially a rejection wound. We come out of the Pisces and from the womb into our embodiment. We become a body, right? Uh, that's an Aries piece, like our physicality. Um, and then we get rejected, or rather he gets rejected based on his physicality. So his journey then on is, and I always say in terms of shadow work that this is so important to actually acknowledge that there is a phase in the shadow work that we need to go as far away and remove ourselves from the shadow um, or the pain or the wound in order to so that we can come back to it stronger and, and, and more wise or whatever. So he goes all the way to the opposite end and spend the most of his life being taught all these amazing skills. uh, And then he goes around, you know, teaching other people how to use them as well. And in somewhere in his thirties, I think he gets shot accidentally by an arrow by Hercules. And that becomes the wound he's known for the wounded healer. Uh, He becomes this like a wounded walking healer that now he spends the rest of his living days trying to find the cure for that secondary wound. So my theory is that <laughs> the moment of the of the injury, accidental injury was actually a call for him to do shadow work. I'm now mixing various metaphors jungian, you know, the mythology and archetypes. Um that and it was in the thigh. So the so he was almost like asked to stop walking away but to sit with the original wound of rejection, which he never addresses throughout his life, right? But no, what he does, he carries on walking and looking for the wound, for the the solution, for the cure for this secondary wound, that's actually a distraction. And the reason I say all this, because the end of his story is about him deciding to die because he cannot heal this, this arrow painful wound on his thigh. But the fact that he never considered that that's there is something underneath it that's festering and not allowing for this wound to heal never occurred to him. Where I, I go as far as to maybe even cheekily say that he was, he was aware, but he was just couldn't face it, couldn't face it, Aries peace, courage. He could not master the courage to face it, to sit with it and not walk with it. Um, so he ends up choosing Death. So in that sense, I think um, Chiron in Aries is, uh, sorry, Chiron's myth is actually the story of Chiron in Aries. Now, interestingly, Chiron spends the longest in Aries and the least in, in Libra, uh, which is another, to me, kind of signpost uh, of saying this wound is so huge collectively, um, you know, as not as a society, but just as a human race. It's like, we just have this wound of existence. We... Um, I think scratch everyone's surface, you will find that we all feel apologetic. Well, you know, at some point in our lives feel uncomfortable being stepping in and just saying, hey, here I am, just me, just whatever, you know, uh, unfiltered, uncensored, just impulsively acting. Now, sorry, I'm getting very excited. If you need to interrupt me, kind of redirect me, please. Do. But um,
0: um, I just want to comment because what you were saying was so profound. Um, I haven't heard this kind of angle on the Chiron myth before. So I, I love and appreciate this. And I think that something that really stands out to me is the idea that wounds that we experience in our life are not necessarily the original wound. Um, And this is something that I've had to, you know, painfully explore in my own life. Um, But also it just shows up in astrology. And when we're looking at, you know, events that happen in people's lives, that sometimes an event comes through with great impact and it is a significant wound, you might say, but it's touching on something and there's a deeper layer there and who knows how deep those layers go, because sometimes there's simply archetypal grief or universal grief. You know, these things that are if we're on psychedelics, for example, I had an experience uh, having a bad trip. My, I think my first and only like truly like horrific kind of psychedelic experience where I just felt pure terror and Chiron and Mars were conjunct in Aries, by the way, when this happened. And it was terrible. I was at a beach and someone fell off a rock and like this helicopter came in to, you know, take this person away. So there was like emergency and, you know, authority figures and injury. So that kind of tail spun me out. But at one point when I was on psychedelics, I looked in my purse and I noticed that like the pockets were full of like trash and crumbs and stuff. And I was like, why is every crevice full of stuff? Like (laughs) no matter, like I keep having this dream that one day my room, my house, my purse, my computer, like everything will just be perfectly organized and clean, but it never is. And so I think the same, even with pain or wounding where it's like, Like uh, if you lift up a rock, weird little bugs are going to crawl out from underneath it. Like you keep going deeper and there's more stuff and more creepy, crawly, whatever. So uh, that in mind too. Yeah. Yeah
1: absolutely. And, and I think I had a recent, well, a few months ago, I had like a Q and a on my uh, Instagram about shadow work. And one of the questions, in fact I think it was about three people asked the same questions. Like, does he ever end, you know, when does he end shadow work? And I'm like, it doesn't, you know, it just it's not doesn't.
0: even the point.
1: <laughs> the only point there, and I think this is partly coronaries, but also I think this is Pluto, right? I know we said we might not go there, but we're just going whatever, wherever we are, we're taken. Um, I, I, my theory about Pluto, the way I distinguish, uh, Pluto and, and Chiron actually, so Pluto is, so I, I live in, well, grew up in an area with with a lot of earthquakes and, uh, I used to feel exhilarated when there was an earthquake. And of course, there was a piece that I won't necessarily die. Um, and that wasn't kind of an option. So I felt basic safety. But this sense that your life is kind of potentially still in danger, there is a real sense of aliveness and, and power that you're feeling that you can't get any other way. So Pluto is um, so so this Pluto is also darkness and shadow and terrors and all that, but there is a sense of aliveness to it. And, and eros, if you like, arousal. I don't mean literal sexual arousal, but that the energy is just like <sighs> lifting you up. Um, where Chiron, on the other hand, is a wound that I like to compare to uh, a pussy wound, pussy literally wound that you just left and neglected, and it's all festering and infested, and it's almost like you can breathe next to it, and it will make you, you know, cringe, and it's so painful. So, um, in terms of like the, the never-ending. <laughs> what
0: life, an image, Maya. <laughs>
1: Well, Venus is in Taurus. Come on, let's just get (laughs) earthy with language (laughs) and our expression. And I'm Taurus, you know, double Taurus. So I love my uh, juicy, drippy language. I mean, you're into uh, literature, you know, um, Marquez, uh, Garcia Marquez, you've heard of him probably. Yeah, yeah, I've read. You read it. It's just it drips off the page. I mean, I just, yeah. And my point there with the the shadow work never ending is it's just finding a way how you can love it. Really, how you can find either Plutonian kind of excitement on that you're actually excited, it turns you on or a chironic kind of, um, you know, pain and just go, OK, like the Band-Aid, if I, it's going to hurt, you know, to begin with, but it will clean and I'll be sorted eventually. So finding a way to just empower yourself through it. And and I think that's how we should make peace with never endingness of it.
0: Yeah. One way that I just was conceptualizing of it recently is, um, James Hillman has this idea that we grow down. So as souls, we incarnate and we get into these sticky, messy situations to grow roots and to more fully incarnate here. And so when I think about the sticky and the gross and like the shadow and whatever, uh, it it's very human. It's very embodied. It's very terrestrial. It's It's the opposite in a sense of my, you know, spirit, higher self ascension kind of stuff. And I love both of them and I love combining them. But I feel like, you know, people can get lodged favoring either one, but there's actually a beautiful synthesis between the two that's possible, but you have to be willing to go up and be willing to go down too. And I think
1: you, you see you are to me, one of the beautiful examples of uh, this balance of, of both right? Where I'm, I'm going to own it. I prefer the down. (laughs) I mean, I'm double Taurus with Saturn in Taurus and Pluto is squaring my mask. I think, and I often think about this and I think um, some of us, and I think I'm one of those then, uh,
0: are really- Not trying to throw shade. (laughs) (laughs) I feel though, even if you love the down, I feel like the joyfulness or like the way that you connect with higher principles around it still is this balance between like shadow work, but also having a bigger perspective.
1: Yes, absolutely. But there is that something that you just nailed it. It's a sense of, I want to feel uh my all of my human right all of it in all its um the way i talk about integrated shadow it's actually not necessarily a pretty picture it's like uh you know think of Picasso's um you know picture of any painting when any head of a woman it's all wonky and but it's beautiful it's so beautiful the the artfulness and the and the aesthetics of it uh and the inspiration of it uh lies in in its well, I would say maybe realness, realness for that example, for that person, for me, your own version of realness. That's it. I think it's it's about realness. The earthiness piece and the soul piece is about being real. And again, just being a version that whatever that means for you. So not like there's not capital R, like there's no capital T. Well, to us, earthly humans.
0: Can we come back to... Your story with loneliness, and just like how did you go so long without experiencing loneliness, and like what happened for you when you recognized that you were feeling it for the first time
1: so I did um Aries piece I um created a blog called Millie No Mates. It's my favorite name. I'm hoping one day to have a brand like a fashion brand, maybe, um, Millie No Mates. So I created a blog. It was anonymous. And then I went, I was, I was featured in a national glossy, uh, newspaper in the UK talking about my loneliness and it was to do with friendships, mainly how I struggled to maintain relationships with women, friendships. Right. And, uh, and I had a major following, uh, on the back of that because it was like a, you know, like a Vogue version of of UK something. Um, and and that, to be seeing myself, you know, talking about, it was anonymous. So that was a bit of a maybe cheating, even Chiron and Aries, but it was the first step ever into that. Uh, and then, so like I said, I had a major following, um, well, major, not so major, but I mean, for me, major. <laughs> and I interacted and it was amazing to see So the medicine for me there for the first time was like, actually I owned it. I I spoke so openly. I was like raw on that page, but I was crafting my pages. So they were relatively well-written as well. And the response, it's like, I I was surprised how the world received me well. So this piece about rejection, the first time I learned it, actually when you dare, you realize there isn't any rejection. Or if there is, there is enough acceptance that any rejection that's maybe also happening, you kind of can distinguish, well, that one only just means that it's not about me. um, Or it's, you know, it's fine for some to reject. So then and then life happened and I kind of, you know, few years of not very Chironic necessarily story, at least not relevant for here. But the second big piece for me was when Chiron started um, opposing my Pluto, then Jupiter, my south node, therefore conjunct my north node and uh, opposing Uranus and approaching my return. So that was happening in 2014 slowly. It was a long time. It was all going. Um, And what I've, so what I've done then, um, kind of taken this rejection piece to the next level I created a uh, project um, whereby invited people um, to meet in London um, in a pub um, and to bring themselves to present themselves as artwork so in As piece is that Chiron in wound is identity wound it's like there is a real sense of uh, a hole like a like a H O L E, not W H O L E. So there's like something missing. Like there's a sense of like, who am I? And 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 whatever one thinks one is with the current areas, it's like, well, am I? Am I? There there is a wound there, a loud wound there. So I decided to like I say, get people together and present themselves in artworks. Why? Because artwork or other art world lives on rejection. It's the one world where you just you can't survive. On it's it, they live and breathe the rejection, right? I mean. You only once in a while make it big or if ever. So everything in between is rejection and yet to still keep producing. And I'm in awe of that. And I thought, what, how else am I going to practice this rejection? So anyway, so we got together and I got up and I had my own artwork, which was a collage kind of like Picasso, like whatever. I was, um, my own v- version of it. And, uh, and then I was talking about myself and I had a guy and the, the 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 second piece of the exercise of the project is then to offer as harsh feedback as possible so that was don't come to the meeting if you can't do that um not obviously verbal abuse or physical obviously no know, but just like being unapologetically honest about what you think about we're seeing as artwork right so, so Venus what, and
0: Aries oh my
1: god <laughs> but that's what piece and John Caron so listen to this so I'm sitting in front of standing in front of this not many people it was about five of us I think not a lot still strangers um and this guy 80 year old guy George I'll never forget his name very flamboyant like a ball dancer um so masculine uh archetype right Venus um sorry Venus in Aries but also Caron in Aries so it's not your typical masculine it's a it's a um, I don't want to say wounded masculine, but it's certainly it's a kind of effeminate. It's just he was just like a like a dancer, beautiful dancer, eight white hair, just all tall, graceful. He lays into me like there's no tomorrow. You, that's boring. You're so boring. God, you're such a middle wife, middle uh, wife, uh, housewife in the midlife crisis. Uh, all the stuff that you're presenting, you just need to get a life. That's just like so uninteresting. And he went on and on and on. And I'm shaking inside, trembling, but because I'm considering, um, this is it. This is an artwork. I'm an artwork, not because I'm beautiful or anything, but I'm considering myself as such. And, uh, And and therefore the point is that that's his opinion. He's entitled to it. So I let it all happen. And I'm trying to engage with him. He's ignoring me. He's not at all interested in explaining himself. And anyway, we end it. and I, I can't stop shaking, but I'm, I'm composed. But at the same time, as I'm shaking, I'm thinking, wow, Maya, you are absolutely rocking this. You're just standing here. And on the surface, I'm looking, okay, yeah, I'm kind of nodding. And I thought, this is it. I cracked it. I mean, I'm, kind of realized that a bit later than maybe the time because it was properly shaking. And then the rest of them were like going and I, I couldn't bring myself to be as, as, uh, and I didn't even think, you know, didn't need to be as harsh. Uh, but I I'm um, you know, I thought they were lovely, but yeah, so that was, I have, and that's,
0: it's almost. That's, I just want to comment. Like there's almost like a surrealist element to this because I mean, I don't know if that's the proper, it's experimental as well, but not only, you know, a group sharing art, but just the assignment to be harsh like that, I think is, um, opens up maybe a different channel of reality that, um, and for you, you know, how it was, it made you shake, like you said, but it also empowered you because in a sense, you constructed an environment to, um, live out one of your fears and you still survived. So I just think that's really interesting as like, not just the art sharing, but the environment or the container around it was also an artistic, but, you know, reality bending experience.
1: Like a performance art. Yeah. I suppose, it's a way. yeah, yeah. And surreal in a way that it was... It's like, I couldn't have scripted it. I mean, he was sent by the gods. I mean, it was an amazing... And it, it was all in white with this red scarf, so red Aries, right? I don't know, and white purity. I mean, it was just like... That part, didn't, that part I didn't script, but yeah. And But that's my point. So shadow work done, um, facing, our, uh, facing our worst fears or anything like that, just... <laughs> Take ownership and take, um, you know, become the agent of it, like create the, the experience. And, and I even tell my clients, like, I'll do it for you and I have a service I offer that does this, you in know, a, in, a, in a way uh, or just get a friend or even do it in front of the mirror. You know, it can really start on un- loosening those grips that that fear has on you.
0: What's the service or the type of reading?
1: Oh, the service. I call it discomforting. Uh, so I have, um, so shall I talk a little bit about that, or how shadow work works? Um, and as in, as in the process, so you have like, I identify 11 stages of shadow work. So at the beginning, it's about facing uh, your fear um, or rather becoming aware of it. And then, uh, sorry, let me just, uh, sitting with it, feeling all of it, engaging with it, listening, uh, compassionate acceptance, reclaiming it, and then. So all of that is, I can be helping you um, astrologically because we are working with the shadow, your shadowscapes, your shadow shadow lands. Uh, But you come to a point where you're now ready to reveal this uh, starting integration of your shadow, but you need to be selective at that point. So you choose carefully who you're going to do that with. And then that point I offer witnessing service. So I just witness you, no comment. I just receive you um, completely accepting and loving and the rest and da, da, da. And then the next stage is the the toughest piece. So you now start to get comfortable with your shadow. It, it fits you well, and you kind of feel it. It's you, and you want to own it. But now you need to come out into the world that's not necessarily as friendly or as accepting, or you know, you know, whatever. So now I offer like a gym of sorts. So we, uh, you come to me, and I, um, I, go, I'm, I act out. I challenge you basically every step of the way. I challenge you. Whatever you're sharing with me, presenting this shadow to me, talking to me about it, I'm I'm not being receptive to it. So it's like I act in a way. And it's it's a tough act, actually. It's not necessarily easy to do, but I've I've done it not many times, not many. There are not many takers for this service.
0: I have Um, to I have to laugh, too. I feel like the the harshest burn I've ever gotten in my life was from a Taurus sun, Venus and Aries. She just ripped into me unapologetically. And it was condemning. She was like, this is who you are. This is what I see you as. I'm not willing to change my opinion. And it's like what she was picking up on me was accurate but tinted in a very extreme way like it was like hateful but it was so intense you know and it's like it still haunts me oh, <laughs> it was so, so destructive. <laughs> but when I see Taurus suns with Venus and Aries I'm like I know what people are capable of
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you see that's the piece you see I would Advice against friends doing this to friends. You come to me, we have a clean exchange. I have no agenda. I have no investment in my relationship with you. So my my mind is that as a professional, as a as a counselor, as a coach, as a mentor, whatever you want to call it. Um that's that's how I keeping it clean, there is a trust that you know that I mean well and it's for you, and you pay me, you want it. You want it. You're inviting it. But friends, oh my God, that's a that's a no no go zone. And I had the same happen to me from an Aries Sun Rising uh, uh, Taurus, my absolute hero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can be brutal, you know. No, here. <laughs> but
1: again, she was a therapist, and that's how I learned. It was like it was coming like absolute chuk chuk chuk, and I would be like ah, oh, but. There was love. There was absolute holding of the space. It wasn't being malicious or anything. It was part of the process. That's the point. And even in my readings, I say my aim is to trigger you, not because I want to trigger you for the fun of it, but triggers are what I love receiving because it cracks me open. And if I know you mean well, I don't have to worry about you. I'm just using your trigger as a tool for me to work with. So it's like I attract a lot of plutonic uh, clients, like heavy Pluto, Scorpio stuff, Aries as well. Oh, I have quite a few Aries, And that just, I, yeah, I can speak like this without any, any holding back and they get it and, and, you know, lands well. Um, but it's, um,
0: So yeah, this always- even, this kind of ties in, I feel like to Chiron and Aries as the healer figure where it's like, we're going to get in the gym together. I'm going to, knock you back a little bit like that, you know, I feel it's an interesting, it's an archetype and like someone who's studying martial arts or something may have a teacher who's going to attack them and figuring out kind of like how to navigate that space, how to deliver that kind of feedback or, um, you know, opportunity for someone in a way that, you know, like you said, is consensual. They've signed up for it. You've prepared people. Um, but it's a, it's like, it's kind of living on the edge in some way, you know, the person who's coming to you is having an edgy experience, but you're also claiming that level of potency and power in that environment, which I think is also an inner activation. Like you said, having, you know, feeling like you deserve to exist, I don't think you use those words exactly, but you know, here I am, but now in addition, here I am as a kind of bully or aggressor, or someone who's gonna bring in this fire, this heat, um, and figuring out kind of where that can be medicinal is really interesting.
1: It, yeah, exactly. I mean, who else do you wanna learn, the, who better to learn that with, uh, to fight, right? To to spar than with a teacher or someone who, you know, it's that's the point of the, your relationship with them. It's the wounding happens when this keeps happening in all other kinds of relationships. Do you see the difference? That's the quality difference that I thought I just
0: right. So, yeah, what kinds of relationships like when this is just happening haphazardly or unintentionally in someone's life, what does it look like?
1: Okay, so So let me think quickly on an example well i have quite a few so it's like which one do i go for which one is the best so okay so i had a friend a dear friend pluto conjunct uh, sorry um son uh, in virgo conjunct pluto in virgo um and uh for years on and off we were kind of just through circumstances and then we went through a phase in life where we shared we went through the same kind of internal hell um and we were such a support to each other and then something happened that I, I had to go away for about a couple of years she knew that and it was all fine and then i reconnected with her but in those two years i was not the same person anymore i mean I, when i resurfaced i was yeah just i wasn't and uh, and yet i really loved her and i wanted to reconnect with her so we did and uh, and i was fearing that it will be um yeah, that it, that it just we won't be able to reconnect. If you like that, if she won't accept me, or it just wouldn't work, and and so <laughs> so we we ended up getting together, and she was in my place here, and so I was where I was coming from, and this is again when, uh, sorry, Karen and Aries piece. It's like me being me is not a comment on you. Me being me is not an attack on you. Me being me is just me being me, right? Uh, so I needed to do some stuff that I was scheduled and I couldn't remove that particular weekend. So I asked her to um, not, you know, to, to to stay in the kitchen, which we have a lovely kitchen and everything. And I need to go to the other side of the house because I need to record something, and I kind of needed to have that space. And it was just about ten minutes, if that. But she was deeply offended. She didn't tell me that straight away. She was deeply offended afterwards. I mean, she's she, sorry then, but then she told me like a month later. And so we tried to speak about that. So that's, that's, um, <laughs> me, so me, like I said, me being me, um, I didn't even think she was gonna feel like that, uh, but she certainly did. So when I tried to talk to her, so this is now the sparring bit, right? So, so it's like, um, The key is not to, again, maybe, again, just for someone like uh, Venus in Aries, conjunct Chara in Aries, this is a major piece. It's like I have to keep checking with myself that I'm more honest than anything else. So I can't worry about her more than I worry about me being honest with her. Because to me, that's an expression of disrespect, almost like you can't take me, you can't take my honesty. Um, and therefore I think you, you know, it's, it's, it feels like I'm not, um, giving you enough credit, right. By, by treating you any other way than thinking that you can just take my honesty. And we were always big on honesty anyway, me and her, she has Venus in Leo, so she's fiery Venus. Um, and, um, so I, so I had to punch <laughs> by saying things that I can't remember exactly now I can't do that piece how I retorted exactly back to her Not, it was it was back and forth audio messages so it wasn't like in face it was a bit softened that but it was basically I was disagreeing with her I I appreciate that that's her experience but to me you know I still would do it and and again and again it's like not you know to upset her but that's just I don't see anything wrong with it and and to change you know that just because she's not comfortable with it okay maybe would have, but that's not kind of the point where we were going with the friendship or what we were nurturing as as a quality now friendship, at least again from my perspective. So it was a very unpleasant exchange and difficult. Um, And I'm not even sure actually now, as I said all this, I'm not sure if this was the best example. Sorry, Sabrina. Um, But it was was that the pieces, it wasn't consensual in the sense that she wasn't (laughs) In the discomforting I do, in the martial arts teacher, um, it's like I'm giving you my all might and you're giving me your all might. We are uncompromisingly being true to who we are. Um, so that's a consensual relationship in a, in a, in a healing or, or, or modality of a service provider, you know, astrologer, counselor and a client. Two friends. You need to be either completely on board and on the same page and the same level of, of awareness, I suppose, uh, to do this yeah, to do this, to this well. Otherwise, I never heard from him back. Never heard from her. Not even like a kind of okay. Well, I don't agree with you. Let's call it a day. Not even that. So it was. A, I must have offended even more. But I am. I would do it again. Not again, as because I enjoy it. But because it was so aligned with me. As I was speaking, I was calm. I was collected. I was. That's who I am. That's how I am. And I love you. And anyway. <laughs>
0: Well, that has me thinking about the shadow work that comes up basically in connection and intimacy and that if there's a part of ourselves that we're unconscious about, when we get close to someone, they, they'll reflect part of it. And either, you know, we feel that impact of it ricocheting back, or we get feedback that has us seeing a part of ourselves that we weren't seeing before. So I think that, um, what is it? There's maybe it's because, you know, Taurus season just started, but I actually think of one of Taurus's power moves as like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Take it or leave it. Like all the fixed signs do that. They're just like, this is the way and you can adjust to it or go away. And that stubbornness is really in one sense, someone staying in their own lane, but they're kind of leaving an imprint on the environment of like, get with the program or go, go away." And in that, um, I've found, you know, from being a Taurus moon and whatnot, that when I express that in a space, you know, cause I've always, that's part of my nature, um, that getting the feedback from someone, you know, one of the ways that this person ripped into me was like, you expect everyone to adjust to you <laughs> and the way, you know, and it was just like, damn, like you know, though she, she gave me a bulleted list basically. And it was crazy because before this happened, I had a dream where she wrote me a list of all the things that she hated about me. Like we had some kind of soul contract or something, but she lists out the ways that I had done that. And I thought like, wow. Okay. So the next time uh, that I found myself in a somewhat similar social situation, uh, I made more of a point to take in other people's perspectives and be more of a team player because I had gotten such harsh feedback. So even though I didn't consent to her um, her perspective, you know, like she, we were on like a no talk. I had made a boundary with her of like, I don't want to hear your feedback on my character because you're like, you're out of line here. Like the way that you're perceiving me. And like, I don't want to be in relationship with you. So go away essentially but she broke that boundary to send me that. And it's still, you know, so it was kind of like a whole, but that was an example, you know, that happened in my personal life. That was not something that was like professional or whatever. Um, and it, it was interesting because as much as I don't really appreciate <laughs> what happened in some sense and her not respecting my boundary, the, the, information that came through, you know, I can still take that in and digest that and become a better person from it. And you see, if I may, um, this
1: is, I mean, I'm, well, I could be a mom, probably I'm going to be 52 in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I had quite a lot of this, these experiences, my variation on them and decades of thinking about all of this. And what I've at this point in my life arrived at is few things. So first the question for me is always, what is the point of relationship in my life? any relationship or a particular relationship and just relationships as a, as a, as a concept or as a, or as a human activity or human, whatever. Um, so there is that question. The other question is, if I don't, that's, that's great feedback. And like you say, you're right. Well, you, it sounds like, you know, you agreed with her in a sense that yes, you are that kind of person or were that kind of person at the time. So my, what I learned eventually is that, I agreed with her, with this friend of mine that I did that. And it was, well, I didn't, I didn't agree with her evaluation of that being a bad thing. That's the piece. I agree with what I did, but I don't think it's a bad thing. So you wanting everything to line up with you. I don't see what that problem is. I mean, why would I want to be with someone who I don't want to line up with? Um, so if, if you're wanting to line up, do you see what I mean? How the motives then become uh, dodgy. It's like, why is she
0: with you? If she doesn't right. want to line up with I think you think anyway, a kind of, do you see what I mean? there's a, a moral thing around being the person who's so conscientious and is, you know, adapting to everyone else and takes care of everyone else and you can get on the martyr side of things. So I think in that connection with her, like, I represented a lot more firmness in where I was going, what I was doing, what I was available for. And, you know, that was like a dissonance between us, but it's, yeah, I think that I've been thinking about this, you know, too, just in terms, I mean, Aries is willfulness. And if we're going to be willful, the shadow of that is being a bulldozer, being a bully unintentionally. And on the other side, it's also being a doormat. And I feel like Mars and Aries is how we learn how to be in right relationship to our power of will. Um, And that's going to show up in our environment as, you know, people, you know, leadership kind of stuff, people wanting to be in our sphere because they like the direction that we're going in as well as, you know, opposition or dissent, you know, and figuring out like who who am I for? And how can I leave people alone that I need to leave alone? Like for me as a psychic, I had a moment of telling people things that I saw when it wasn't consensual. And I got hit from the universe from that because it didn't work. It didn't bode well. And so I feel like Aries... You know, the, yeah, that wound of selfhood or that sense of like, oh, I have to prove myself. I have a chip on my shoulder. But you get to the point where you realize how powerful you actually are. And then you need to leave people alone if they aren't signing up to participate with that power. And I mean, I'm. <laughs> As he was speaking, I was remembering uh, again Chiron.
1: So, don't necessarily being in Aries, but I currently it is in Aries, so we'll stick with that. But it's the rejection piece is Chiron piece, full stop. No matter which sign it is, and Chiron is a is a bridge between Barbara Handclaw talks about that in her book. Um, she's um, it's a bridge of consciousness. Consciousness, I think she calls it. I think uh, but it's Chiron that- the Rainbow Bridge. Yes. Okay yeah that's the book isn't it but then i think she anyway it's a bridge between um saturn and uranus because of its ecliptic um he goes between the two and i, I read recently it might be going even occasionally rarely or over the uranus to towards neptune but no, it doesn't matter the point i'm making here is to um if we were to so i to take uranus um which is the other side of this bridge that Chiron is, is, is bridging, so Saturn on one hand and the Uranus on the other. Um, Saturn is the old, Uranus is the new. Uh, Saturn is the crystallized, formed, and now ready to, to, you know, be renewed and refreshed and in further emancipated and further individuated, that's all Uranus piece. But that journey, that bridge needs to be walked um, it's a bridge. It's 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 a walk of separation. We need to, and that's a piece of rejection again. But let's stick with separation. Um, so, what Aries is struggling with, and that's a Libra piece on the other side, is that I will be so separate from everyone if I just do my thing, and and I will be, you know, lonely, um, or I will be, I will have no one to have fun with. And the Aries piece is as well, that there is innocence in Aries, and I know, um, so when, when um, astrologers talk about um, Aries as like a toddler of the Zodiac, I'm not too quick to kind of take that as a negative of, of Aries. I mean, he's, he's meant to be a toddler, he's the first one, and that's the innocence piece there is for him to um, to embrace doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. It's the other people that have a problem with that, Right. Um, and that is okay too, <laughs> as an expression, as a feedback, but it gets all m- mucky and, and muddy when there is a demand for change. That's the piece that I struggle with. It's like, let's dance this dance together and see how long we can stick together. And then the moment we just are not happy, there's no, the it's, it's fine. We can just go our separate ways. You know, I'm sorry. So, yeah, I may have just gone off a little bit on tangent there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think Aries, you know, it's an interesting balance and thing to think about, uh, because I think that one of the ways that this shows up for me a lot in conversation and in my own journey is like visibility on social media. Like I show up, I share, I'm in the integrity with myself and it doesn't really matter who likes my work and who doesn't, I'm still going to put it out into the world. And I feel that that kind of code of feeling like this is who I am. I'm going to show up with it. um, It goes against the kind of thinking of like, I need to make sure everyone's happy with me and make sure that I'm like adapting myself to please others. Right. Um, And I think that there can be a fear of like, well, what if I'm, you know, stepping on people or what if people are judging me. And so just that simple, like I'm going to be who I am in the world and accept the consequences. And I think, yeah, that balance of being open to shadow work or open to ego death so that, yeah, be yourself in the world. And if you keep getting a reflection, that's really negative figuring out where that's coming from. Like if there's something internally that you want to adjust because of that negative feedback, or maybe you're just in a really unsuitable environment, maybe you're a radical person in a really conservative area and you're getting feedback. That's just confirming that dissonance, you know, so having to, but yeah, I think that it's not
1: personal. It's a dissonance of your environment and you in that case, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's actually, it's super important to have community and to have friendships and to have, um, people that reflect us who we trust or who we value their perspectives, because that's incredibly regulating. Um, and I know a lot of people, Especially people who are into things like astrology and anything fringe, you know, they may have grown up with a sense of being different or, you know, people not getting them. And we can take that personally until we realize, oh, I'm just interested in things that a lot of other people aren't. And there's tons of people in the universe who are going to resonate with me. I just need to find my people and I need to make myself visible enough and be myself enough so that I can resonate and find these people. And maybe I have to be alone for a second when I do that. And that's the Aries, you know, key or activation there.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: So how was your Chiron return?
1: My Chiron return was a pileup of uh, so many heavy hitting uh, transits I had in the run up to it, but in the most fabulous way. So I think Kyron written me observing others as well and in my own experience of it. I kind of, I think I can, um, summarize it maybe in a few points. So one of them is that, I mean, it happens every 50 years, right? So you're by the age of 50, you kind of are, you know, pretty solid in your, in your truth. Well, you know, one is, hopefully one Hopefully so. Be. Yeah, hopefully so. Yes. Thank you. Um, So you're almost like you're ready to go. And, and, you know, particularly because it's Aries Chiron, right? For me, then it's like, yeah, I'm ready. And I've been I've been going like bravely into into the world and just facing actually acceptance and not rejection uh, by saying the unsayable, but doing the undoable, at least what I perceive. The the Pluto
0: and Scorpios love you like (laughs) you've
1: i know my my clients are a lot well not all of them but a, a lot of them are Pluto and scorpio definitely and i adore your generation i mean you're just oh my god you're just um, yeah i i yeah i i will have a post or something a content on on ode to to Pluto and scorpio generation um so so, yeah, so there is that piece that I'm just like going for it and, you know, unapologetically, but it took 50 years to get to that point, And so many hard hitting, uh, you know, transits up until that point. But then another piece about current return, it's like you start to really and this is I'm, where I'm at. I'm like, um, you start to plan for a second, Saturn return in the sense of what kind of elder do I want to be at that point in my life? And I already know what I'm going to be. Um, well um, yeah i have it for the for the second saturn return and then i think it's uranus um, around by the 7th age 70 65 70 i'm going to have a exhibition this one of the things in sachi gallery so here's for record <laughs> on the record uh, But anyway and um and another thing that, that becomes really clear i think and i observe this in others as well and okay my generation mostly capricornaries but also current pisces that we become um by the time of our current term, we become so much clearer on our purpose and our role in uh, in the bigger picture, in the, you know, uh, how we contribute to the whole. And this is, I think, the piece that we have crossed the bridge. We have moved from Saturn um, and the kind of belonging to the society as per convention and then, you know, fighting against it, but probably, you know, stealth-like and uh, underground or whatever. Then we cross the bridge in the run-up to the current return and usually happens a few hits at least, and I had it about two and a half years it's been going on. And uh, and we enter the Uranian, Uranus stage or, you know, uh, the other side of the bridge. And that's kind of like, we find our tribe. I mean, tribe is a, you know, a tired word maybe by now, but, you know, soul family, or we just find a sense of belonging. from our far more authentic, uh, vulnerable, um, rejection-proof, or rather we don't feel fear of rejection, not that we won't be rejected, of course we will, um, kind of place. And it's it's just... I mean, I, you know, I love these heavy hitting transits and, uh, you know, soul making transits, So maybe I'm biased there. And another thing I wanted to just mention, um, for anyone approaching the current return, <laughs> I don't know if you have the audience here, but anyway, uh, is that what happens often also in our certain experiences that, um, a chronic disease re- flares up, uh, by disease, I don't mean anything to have. Usually it's just physical, like something to do with your body and it's in its kind of, um, flexibility and, and, um, prowess or not prowess is maybe not the right word just uh agility and uh, freshness and whatever And it's not just to do with aging it's actually you know the creaks and pains that you thought you figured out and you know got rid of they can come back and they in my experience uh have been just a reflection of inner stuff and i look for metaphors in what they mean like if it's a back what does that mean i need backup i need to back something I need some strength in my structure or whatever you know so I look for metaphors in that disease and I would say that's a good kind of thing to bear in mind as you get to the current return
0: I want to you know add thank you for that I I feel like you're you've moved through these transits with like developmental success so the way that you're describing it I don't think that these things are guaranteed I feel like with um Some of the ways that I've read, you know, and just as an intuition as a kid, like I would see adults around me and be like, why are these like, am I going to become like this when I grow up? Because I would see adults just be kind of shut down as people and not seem like people that I wanted to get advice from or things like that. And I was like, is this just what happens when you get old? So I kind of made this mental note of like, I always want to stay open or I always want to be expanded. And then reading about astrology and like the Uranus opposition at 41, the Saturn return at 29, uh, the Chiron return around 51. And so like, these are all gates and they have certain initiatory purposes. And for example, at the Uranus opposition, you know, we moving up to the Saturn return. It's like formalizing your life. It's kind of about like foundational success and by the Uranus opposition, that transit is so much more challenging for someone who hasn't, uh, developed their individuation needs. So someone who's, you know, that's where the midlife crisis, I'm going to like get a fancy car and whatever and have a divorce like that can come up if one is living in an inauthentic environment. So knowing that these things are ahead of the curve and what they're like, you know, one can prepare for them, but I feel like the Chiron return is like a spiritual, uh, like elder initiation, like you were saying, preparing for that second Saturn return. And so I just want to throw that out there where like not to instill fear in the conversation, but just as like, you know, practically speaking for these developmental transits, I think the the main thing we have to do, even if we're not astrologically inclined in terms of studying it ourselves is live a good life, look at ourselves, do shadow work, be open to new information, because otherwise we get crusty and shut down and we don't become elders. Like, I don't think elderhood is something that everyone reaches, even if they reach that age.
1: Absolutely. And I think there is um, almost like, I don't know if misnomer is the right uh, term to use here, but it's like um, elderhood um, is potentially perceived uh, and misperceived, if you ask me, as just getting older and therefore, whatever you've learned up until that point, it's worth your eldership. So just by being old, you kind of deserve that. And as now, that this word is a bit loaded and I haven't got a better one. So go with me. Um, deserve that respect, if you like. Just because they're old, once has reached certain age. I mean, of course, basic respect, yes, but the respect, like you said, to, uh, as someone to be listened to for advice, no, the age doesn't guarantee it itself whatsoever. And yet, I think there is a flavor of that when people look to almost like they can't wait to get that, that that older age when they can just like retire and not worry about anything, and then they want their kids and grandkids and everyone else to just look up to them. And I've certainly witnessed that in families and you know other kind of you know people or whatever. Um, and I must, and this is the piece about Pluto in, in uh, Scorpio generation i just had since you brought it up, is that I do feel like, uh, you know, I wonder occasionally, like, I haven't got my, my age friends. I mean, I have maybe a couple um, and everyone else is considerably younger because I don't know what to talk. I mean, this is just my life. You know, it doesn't mean that you can be 52 and have not your age friends and not all be evolved or whatever, you know, I'd like to maybe think I am. Uh, but it is it is. Um, It's 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 such a danger that, you know, uh, as one gets older, particularly from my generation, this is Putin Virgo, you know, I mean, yeah, I <laughs> just, you know, just get tired as I think about it. But you, thankfully, your Pluto in scope in particular. And then, you know, Pluto in Sarge, I mean, you're just going to change the game of getting older. And uh, I like to be considered one of the pioneers of that, even though I'm from a very older generation.
0: <laughs> yeah, completely. I, you know, and I love Pluto and Virgos, too. And I um, it's interesting. I feel like. You know, I love that you're on Instagram. I don't find a lot of Pluto and Virgos on Instagram. Um, And it's yeah, I think I can just, you know, I didn't mean to sound like all judgmental and Saturnian here, but like you can just kind of tell when someone has like let life penetrate them and they've been moved by it. Um, and I think that's what I'm really going for. So even with all the Pluto placements, it's like, there's lessons and activations that come with that and how open to that are we? And that's actually the material that's going to make us our most epic selves and turn us into, you know, our elder selves, um, if we're blessed to get there. So yeah, I would oh, love yes. to know. Oh, sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say in, in the, in the, and then we'll, we'll, uh, wrap it up with, um, but, um, just a, like a side defense for kind of take on from where you left of uh, Pluto in Virgo. Um, it's like of all Plutos, I think it's um, it's kind of most um, I mean, it's it, a lot of Pluto in Virgos had the Chiron in Pisces opposing it. So it's almost like the journey of empowerment is to experience um, disempowerment and powerlessness as part of it. It's like of all the, like Libra, uh, Leo, Scorpio, Sarge, I think it's probably akin to cancer Pluto where it's far more about the inner work. Really, you know, Virgo is, um, is Vesta, you know, uh, you know, completely self-contained and, um, yeah. And that's growing up in that, that era was also not easy to have good role models who were doing inner work. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, I just thought a few words on my Pluto and Virgo generation. Yeah, uh, Any, any Pluto is yeah. tough and empowering, obviously.
0: Yeah. Wow. we need, There needs to be more conversations. We had one Pluto and Virgo episode here, but I do, I track that with this generation around like a lot of, you know, like Brene Brown is Pluto and Virgo and she's bringing amazing things to the conversation. And I'll hear Pluto and Virgos talk about, you know, oh, I didn't realize I had anxiety like until people were talking about it and the map was out there. So yeah. I imagine, you know, uh, growing up with some of the themes of Pluto and Virgo without the collective reflecting those things would have been very challenging um but how can people find and work with you what are some of the services that you offer
1: yes so um i it's my website basically is the, the go-to place for all the information so darker you'll find everything about me and the work that i do and how i do it And uh, it's also plastered everyone on the website to kind of precaution, like what kind of work I do and what kind of person you need to be in order to really benefit from me. Um, And uh, so it's all there. Like I say, I'm also on Instagram always like I live on Instagram. That's my social um, platform where I socialize literally. So if you want to kind of keep up with all my shenanigans, which are not really many, but um, I've always, you know, write about it's always serious stuff like that work or astrology, I don't share much of the trivial stuff uh, much. And uh, not there's anything wrong with that, but you know And then I just want to say um, take this opportunity to say that I will be running a summer school in June uh, starting soon after the eclipse ends. So I'll have the details up on my website uh, within the next couple of weeks probably. Um, and basically the school will be it's designed as to be a journey of self-discovery through the 12 houses of your chart. So every student will be working with their own chart. It will be a, um, a very closely guided self-study. So I'll be the guide. I'll be the mentor, the, the, you know, the teacher, if you like, but it will be, you know, students working with their own charts, um, as I find that to be the most exciting, you know, for me anyway. So I'm looking for like-minded people. Um, and there'll be a lot of uh, fun, like activities and experiments, and uh, you know, doing stuff in between the the workshops. And then the workshops the group work and all that. So hopefully, uh, you know, anyone interested out there will join me on that uh, as well. As I would love to have you, if this resonates, of course.
0: Amazing! That's so exciting, and you're so brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing on the podcast today and for uh bringing these initiations that you've personally experienced into the picture, so we can um absorb and just yeah take in that wisdom thank you so much
1: well thank you so much for having me this was such fun i mean too much fun (laughs) 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 it was just wonderful thank you so much it was such an honor to to be on this podcast with you and uh that outdoor amazing podcast or just everything you do i think it's amazing and yes i i uh i'll see you around (laughs) thank you
0: thank you thank you for listening. Definitely recommend checking out and following Maya and booking a reading. Like it's really, really quite a gift to get a, um, evolutionary astrology, human design, you know, a deep depth oriented astrology reading from someone who's so versed, um, in going into the shadows and, Yeah, I find that getting that kind of read can be really catalytic and transformative, especially, you know, for for those of you who are like, read me, you know, tell me don't hold back. Uh, Maya, Maya has those codes. If you've been enjoying this podcast for a little bit and you have something to say about it or a while, you know, and you have something to say about it, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of that review and send it to me at, Sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. Um, this is to complement, you know, when we're looking at um, the fixed cross, for example, in the Zodiac, you have Taurus and Scorpio, which can be some of these, Deeper entrenched patterns and themes. And then you have the kind of visionary idealist stuff with Aquarius and the play and the fun with Leo. And I find actually that living our best lives includes this very full spectrum thing about going into our shadow, spelunking, diving, being with the deep stuff, and also going far out in the other direction. So play. Um, One of my favorite lectures that I've ever given is included in this resource library about creating and elevating your reality called Play and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. And it's about how play is essentially the origin of human religion, um, early kind of human discovery of music and song and dance and, and whatnot, and how that kind of evolved into the structure of society and reality, you know, and how... If we're wanting to switch things up or be creative in this reality like we gotta know that that key to play and uh i'm a chiron and leo in the fifth house native so uh talk about you know the magical path or the activation around play definitely a big teacher for me and an ongoing spiralic discovery on what play is and what kind of worlds it can open um, I super enjoyed this conversation with Maya. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for also hearing me and being present with me in my, my funk. And, you know, I'm actually even just starting to feel some stuff move because talking and sharing and making something visible, um, is a, is a really big way to unravel, um, and not just hold it. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I love all of you. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. And I hope that you're having a graceful, catalytic, meaningful, blessed eclipse season. And, um, you know, if you are listening to this podcast in the time that it is being shared right now, as I am recording this outro, it's May 17th, the evening. Um, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I'm going to release it pretty much immediately after I'm done like uploading this, but, um, we have an eclipse coming up May 26th, a full moon eclipse in Sagittarius and eclipse season, um, really is a time of flux. It's kind of like a wormhole energy where the lights go off and the lights come on and life is different, um, traditionally, Practically speaking, it's not advised to manifest things during eclipses. Um, This, to me, does not mean not doing anything. It's just really toning down that quality of trying to make things happen um, and tuning into the unraveling process or the truth of what's wanting to emerge. One of my favorite eclipse activities is to Eclipse within and to meditate and to um, channel something. Essentially, the evolutionary astrology intensive that I teach, I kind of just got the download for it and started writing what I thought was just notes, but it was a complete kind of course page uh, during an eclipse in 2017. One of the last eclipses, I got a vision to move to Portland, and here I am. Uh, So you know, personally speaking, I do significant stuff around eclipses, but it's never preconceived. Like, I didn't know that last, you know, eclipse that I got. It wasn't the last eclipse, but one of the recent ones. Um, I was just in the bath during the exact moment of the eclipse, and it just downloaded into my head. <laughs> like, go to Portland, create a home. And I came to Portland thinking that I was going to rent and not being able to, I couldn't find something to rent. And then I got the idea to buy and, you know, I'm still on this quest still on this path. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting that it just came through and it had the, the clunk, you know, as one of my teachers, Perry chase talks about the clunk, like the knowing that clunk of truth in it. And I did it. So that's a lot different than closing your eyes uh, and like trying to send a laser beam through your third eye to like manifest your will <laughs> on an eclipse or something. I don't know why that image just came through. Um, if in doubt, you know, if you if you can either just meditate and feel what comes up or you can also do um, mantra meditation prayer, prayers for collective healing and peace, um, an earnest prayer. Uh, is different than magical acts where you have a will that you're trying to manifest. Um, Prayer is, is different energetically. And, um, a lot of astrologers would weigh in that. Yeah. Prayer during eclipses, good manifestation ritual beware. So hopefully you get that in time (laughs) and, if you didn't, and you did a ritual during the eclipse, that was part of your process too, and don't worry about it. I certainly have done my fair share of rituals during eclipses before I got the memo, and to this day, I still think that it's a very individual thing, but I do think that the eclipses you know, are related to a dragon, and there are some people who handle venomous snakes, and most people don't. <laughs> so if you have a relationship with the lunar nodes where you feel comfortable doing magic during them, you know, that's kind of like the wild, you know, you're a snake, you're a dragon person. <laughs> and for me, I have a deep connection to the lunar nodes and uh, feel pretty, um, given that the way that I look at charts always begins with Pluto and the lunar nodes. And I've been doing that for, you know, since 2012 and, really being in deep relationship with my own nodes and making, you know, life changes during eclipses and whatnot. Um, the eclipses and the lunar nodes are, um, Rahu K2, you know, they're my very big teachers. And I think I'll, um, I'll just stop here and say, That it's normal during eclipse season to have high emotions or have things come up or there to be a certain degree of instability or chaos. And that it's really revealing back to us our soul work through our life experiences, through what's physically manifesting. That if life gets a rise out of us or provokes us or triggers us, you know, that it can point us back to our soul. So it is a good time to find some of that inner stillness amidst what's happening to really tune in with what's the dream symbol? What's this mean? Um, And to unravel and be humbled by the experience. That's my best advice for eclipse season at the moment. And thank you for listening. Be well.